0: hello and welcome back i am so glad you're here and thank you for listening in today this is the how to life podcast i'm dr laura jaggett and this is episode 108 since the last show was a what can i do with my life episode i thought i'd give you another one since we're kind of on a roll with that Today's episode is about what it takes to become a speech therapist, a rewarding and versatile job. And here to talk about that is my guest, certified speech-language pathologist, Rose Griffin. Rose has been doing this work for 20 years, mostly in the public school system, and for the last five years, she has also started her own business called ABA Speech, as well as host the podcast Autism Outreach. She has great information to help you learn about and decide if speech therapy is a career you may want to pursue. You are going to find this podcast very informative. Good morning, Rose. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. This is the How to Life podcast. I'm happy to be here. You are gracious enough to talk about what it is that you do for my unofficial series, What Can I Do With My Life? I'll give a brief talk about this. I was a senior in college myself. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was majoring in psychology and I was freaking out. And my mother happened to mention just casually you know, why don't you be a chiropractor? I had had a great experience with a chiropractor about four years prior. I was injured. Nobody could fix me. I went to a chiropractor. I got better. And then I forgot about it. I just went on with my life. So it was this one thing that my mother said that just like light bulb went off. And that's what I became. I did that for 30 years. So perhaps this interview might create the same reaction for someone who's listening. I hope so. That's inspiring. I love that so much. (laughs) All right. Before we begin please introduce yourself and tell us what it is you do.
1: Absolutely. So my name is Rose Griffin, and I am a speech therapist and also a board-certified behavior analyst. And I am the creator of a business called ABA Speech, where I offer courses, I have a podcast, a blog, I do speech therapy, and I see all different
0: types of students, but I really specialize in helping autistic learners how did you get into this? How did you decide this is what you wanted to do?
1: What's really wild is I actually kind of have a similar story where my mom played really an instrumental piece in it because she was a public school teacher and she worked at a high school level and she was teaching an elective class about careers. And I think I was a senior in high school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so she gave me a career assessment. And one of the top things on there was speech therapist. And I actually had no idea what a speech therapist was because I was not in speech therapy. None of my immediate family had speech therapy, but we did have a family friend that was a speech therapist. And this family friend was a lot older than me. So I went and I observed that family friend doing speech therapy in all these different settings. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. It's very science-based, which I love. It's working with people, which I love people, but there's not a lot of math involved. And so for me, I did not excel in math. I was good in statistics, but not regular old math. So there were certain things I knew that I didn't want to do. And so it was really just an amazing choice for me. I declared my major my freshman year of college. And you have to have a master's degree, which you, I know we're, we might get into that more specifically. And I never look back and I just absolutely love it. I've been doing this 20 years and I just really enjoy it. I love what I do.
0: When your mom gave you the career assessment test and it came up speech therapy, what sort of characteristics led to that? Like, What kind of demeanor do you have to have to do this job?
1: Yeah, I think you have to be extremely patient. And I think you do have to be a positive person because sometimes you're going to be working with students or adults. That's the cool thing about our field is that it is a very broad scope. And It may seem like a small incremental step for that patient or that client, but really it's something to to be really excited about. And so I think I'm very a positive person and I can see that I can celebrate these small wins and see that they really are steps towards being more independent in communication for whatever that means for your particular client.
0: It sounds like you have to have compassion as well. Patience, kindness, and compassion what's the range that you work with? I know you deal with autism, but Mm -hmm. how minor can it be where somebody might need speech? Yeah,
1: absolutely. There are things like accent reduction. I did some of that in college. I remember I worked with an engineer. He worked for Goodyear and he was from Latvia. So there were certain sounds in his language that were not in English. So here's a guy who has his PhD, who's an engineer, who's very, very brilliant. But I was working on him with W versus V, wiper, viper, because there were certain sounds that were not in his language. I used to love that, this whole idea of corporate speech pathology, but never went down that road. But I, I really think that's a cool thing to do. You can work with children who have speech sound disorders, where maybe they're just having trouble saying sounds. You can work with autistic learners. You can work with adults who have had had a stroke, who have trouble with swallowing, feeding. It's just such a broad scope that what I have found is that a lot of speech therapists then after you get your graduate degree, because once you get your master's, then really on paper, you can treat all different types of clients. But a lot of times people do tend to specialize in one area or another.
0: I didn't know that it was for a non-pathological thing. Like accent reduction. I never even considered that was something that you could use speech therapy for. Or or transgender voice therapy. Actually, Mm. my
1: graduate externship was with a lady who specialized in voice, which is a school-based therapist. You really don't ever treat that. At least I never have in 20 years, but she worked with a lot of transgender patients on voice therapy, which I found to be absolutely fascinating. So you can really make it what you want. I was just filming a podcast of my own a second ago, and I was talking about using yoga in therapy, because there's these two speech therapists who are also yoga instructors, and that's what they really like to do. So the other thing you said, personality traits, people are really creative. So you can really make it what you want. And our field is extremely, extremely broad. And so for me, what I try to do with my autistic learners is we may work on speech sounds, but we're working on more kind of holistic language concepts. Like labeling, knowing what different things are called, being able to engage in a conversation, being able to play with toys with friends around. So it's very, very different depending on the clients that you're working with.
0: So explain what autism is and what sort of limitations, and I know there's a range, but what sort of limitations can they have?
1: Yeah. So autism is now diagnosed at one in 44. That is the prevalence rate. And when I first started doing presentations about 10 years ago, it was one in 242. So it's really, really changed. So you're going to have a lot of people with autism that you'll encounter. And so just understanding that really is a spectrum. So you may have an autistic student who may not have any speaking ability. So they may actually use sign language, or they may use an iPad that has a program on it that allows them to touch buttons to communicate. Or you may have an autistic adult who, like I had this really great person on my podcast, Dr. Carrie Magro, who was non-speaking at four was involved in a lot of therapies, and now he is a PhD. He makes his living as being a professional speaker, and he's been on the Today Show, and it's been a consultant for HBO. So it really is a a spectrum. And so somebody who is maybe conversational, maybe they have sensory needs that are not addressed, and maybe that person wouldn't even need speech therapy. So that's kind of the thing with autism is that just because you have autism doesn't mean that you have support needs in the area of communication. You may but you may not. And so sometimes we may work on labeling, conversation, play skills, vocabulary building. All of these things kind of make up what is going to help that student become an independent communicator.
0: And in your specialty, is there a little niche within autism that you focus on?
1: I am a speech therapist and a board certified behavior analyst so I use the science of applied behavior analysis which is very very niche but you know just the study of how to help people set up the environment focus on socially significant behaviors which in my case is is communication so how to really help people in a very structured way and so that's really what I specialize in but really what a lot of people don't know because i do have an online business and you know from a business sense i really only talk about autism but in my real life and like my private practice i see clients that are just working on speech sounds and and things like that so it really is flexible and that's kind of really why i went into the field because it is such a broad scope you sometimes tend to like specialize in just one thing
0: but it is nice to have that variety too So there are tons of potential to carve out a little niche or find something within this field. I want to get into the education now. So how do you begin? What sort of education and experience do you need to get started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I got my undergraduate degree. My is called communication disorders. So you're actually learning about speech and you're actually learning about hearing too. And then when you go on for your post bachelor's work, you either decide, do you want to be an audiologist? where you're working with hearing, or do you want to be a speech therapist? And that's where you make that distinction. And then I had to go on. I got into graduate school, yay. And then I got my master's degree. So it was about six years of school. I was extremely focused. I didn't take any time off. I was like laser focused on getting done.
0: Yeah. What sort of courses are you taking in undergrad to get this degree? Yeah.
1: So for me, I took courses on the basic anatomy of the hearing mechanism. I took a course on anatomy and physiology of the speech and hearing mechanism. I took courses that were about organic disorders. I loved that course. It was very fascinating. It was about Huntington's disease, and it was about Guillain-Barre syndrome and all these things that (laughs) at 20, I had no idea these things existed, but it's really kind of fascinating and scary, to be honest, about how they really can affect your communication, right? Traumatic brain injury all these things that can happen or that you're born with, and they really affect the way that you're communicating. So I was really fascinated about learning about all of that information. And that really is kind of a general perspective of what you're learning in your undergraduate work.
0: So some science, is this a science degree or a, it, it is, it's a BS? Mine was a, was a BA, okay. but I think that can depend on each college.
1: I would I call think. it a BS. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you take psychology courses as well?
1: I did take, yes. I took intro to psychology. I took developmental psychology. And then I took another class that was like quantitative psychology that really felt like another statistics class. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So (laughs) that's part of the degree. They want you to take that. I can see how you would need the physiology, the biology stuff as well Mm -hmm. as the psychology thing. Yes. Okay. How much is schooling cost?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I was very kind of provincial in my college. I went to a commuter school here in Akron. I went to the University of Akron. And actually because my grades were really good and all that. So I think the last two years of my schooling were actually paid for. I got a full scholarship. And I was the kind of person that was always kind of on the hunt for scholarships and things like that. But because my grades were so very good in college, it kind of opened up doors to be Candidates for some of these like full ride scholarships that were just academic. And then when I went on to get my master's, I applied different places and I got an assistantship. So that meant that my school was completely paid for and I had an on campus job, which meant that I worked. it, It kind of meant a lot of things. Sometimes I would just help professors with different tasks. Sometimes I would work at the clinic, like at the front desk. It depended on the semester. But that offset the expenses. It did. I got a very small stipend.
0: But it was nice. I just going to pop this in here. Anyone who is listening, I have a whole podcast episode on how to find scholarships and grants. So I will link that in the show notes. Can you get this degree from any university, or do you have to go to specific ones that specialize in this area?
1: There are definitely schools that are accredited. You You
0: know, it's a very large profession.
1: And so our national organization is called ASHA, A S H A. And so I definitely would look on that website to see what schools would be accredited, just to make sure that that coursework is rigorous in your undergraduate so you can get into the appropriate graduate
0: program and things like that. That was my next question. You need to have a degree from an accredited college in order to get into a master's program. Or it's beneficial I'm not sure, to do. Sure,
1: but I think it's beneficial. I'm okay. the kind of person that doesn't throw caution to the wind like I would go to the school that they sure. say to go to, but there's a lot of choices. So yeah. All right.
0: That's good to know. Now, once you have your degree, how can you apply this degree that you have? Do you go work at public school or private schools or private businesses? Where can you go with it? That's what's so
1: fascinating about our field and really my career too. You know, I have always worked in a public school, like even to this day, I work three days a week as a public school speech therapist, and I have done that the past 20 years. But now, in the past five years, I've started my own private practice. You can work in the private sector, you can work in a public school, you can work in specialized schools. So there might be a school for students who maybe have ADHD or students who have behavioral barriers where they can't be in a in a typical public school. You can work in nursing homes. You can teach. You can go on and get your PhD and be a professor. Some people work in sales. So I was saying some students have complex communication needs and they use different augmentative communication devices to communicate. So it might be like an iPad with a software program. And so there are these companies and a lot of the sales staff, most of them are all speech therapists. So really you can do so many different things with it. And now with my own company, you know, I offer courses and I've monetized my podcast and there's a lot of different things that you can do with it do hospitals have
0: speech therapists on staff?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's a good place too. Yes. And when I first started in the field, I was like, oh, I want to do everything. And I, I did a little bit of work in a nursing home and I did a little bit of work in a hospital. And then I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it wasn't my jam, but absolutely in a hospital, helping people with understanding the swallowing troubles, or if you've had a
0: stroke
1: and language therapy. So, absolutely.
0: What is the salary potential?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it really depends on your region and where you are going to work. Typically, if you work in the private sector, you're going to make more money. Mm-hmm. But what I have found is a lot of speech therapists are really into, and this is really why I went into the field initially too, because I always knew that I wanted to have a family. And so I have three kids of my own. And so it is a field where you can find your own work-life balance. It's not like it's easy street by any stretch of the imagination as any job is not. But I have made different choices in my career. Like when I started having kids, I went down to three days a week. And then I had this idea for this product. And then that's when I started my own business five years ago. So you can really make it what you want. So, you know, if you maybe are a stay at home mom, some people will take that time off and then maybe go back and see clients when their kids are at school, if you financially can do that. That's the other thing I was going to mention too is that. It's not all female profession, but a large
0: majority of speech therapists are female. Why do you think that is? Like the compassion component of it maybe?
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. I, I don't it's a know. More, it's maternal. It's a little bit of yeah, a maternal Yeah. I mean, job. if I
1: was just generalizing, that they're definitely male speech therapists. When I have these male speech therapists on my podcast, I'm like, yeah, you get it. You're kind. You know Good. what I mean? It's just a different kind of person.
0: And it might be coming along. I mean, there was a time where there weren't that many male nurses, and now I think it's 50-50. So it's right. It's just kind of changing mindset, and this can mm-hmm. be done by anybody. Absolutely. Now, every profession has some downsides. I can tell you the ones of chiropractic. and. <sighs> Are there any specific downsides or is it more of a personality thing if you run into something you don't like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the main thing is like, what's so cool about being a speech therapist is that you get to work with people, but one of the cons is that you work with people. So, you know, (laughs) like you're going to meet clients that are not very friendly. In a public school, you might work with parents who are very difficult to work with. And- you know, when you work in the public sector, you're not picking and choosing who your clients are. So you have to remain calm. You have to try to stay positive. And, you know, when you work with people, sometimes you're like, ugh, you know what I mean? That's with anything. You're going to bump into that (laughs) no matter what you're doing. Yes. So that is probably the thing. It's like the cool thing. And it's the thing that is the struggle at times. Yeah.
0: So now tell me about some big wins you've had. What's the most rewarding thing for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say one of my most rewarding cases was a student that I met in sixth grade. He was raised in another country for 10 years. And I started working with him when he was in sixth grade. He had no way to communicate, he had autism. And usually, when somebody's at that at advanced chronological age, they may never verbalize. They just might not be their main form of communication, but we worked really systematically together. Me, his one-on-one paraprofessional, his teacher, and he started talking and it was absolutely the coolest thing. And I've done presentations about this case. I have done webinars about this case written articles. And it was just so cool because when he started talking, he could say almost all the speech sounds that we both say. This usually doesn't happen. So it was like this amazing experience. So much so that one substitute came into our classroom and she had known him when he started. And then she saw him like maybe a year later. And she was like, oh my gosh, so-and-so is talking so much. And that's a case that I like to talk about a lot too, because in the autism world and anybody who's older and has a disability, oftentimes when a person gets older, that access to services or any type of support really, really kind of just dries up. And there's not a lot out there for older students even. So it really was a bright spot in my career to
0: be able to help that student. That's a great story. Is there a specific... Technique you apply to everybody, or do you have to evaluate them and then get into your bag of tools and pick what's going to work best for each person?
1: Yeah, that's kind of where the creativity happens. You know, I have a couple clients I see in the home, and I see one little guy, he's like Three now, and he's autistic and he talks a little bit, but I'll do some things and I'm parent coaching. The parents are there, and the mom will say, Well, how did you know how to do that? And I'm like, Well, you know, I've been doing this 20 years. It's just like, it's like a science, but it's also an art. It's like, if my student does A, I'm going to do this. If my student does B, I react this way to make it a teachable moment, to keep it fun, to keep it functional. And really, just over time, you kind of
0: strengthen that skill. I love that you said it's a science and an art because it definitely is. That sounds so fascinating. Rose, I want to thank you so much for sharing this information. And can you please tell us about your business and how people can find you? Absolutely. At
1: abaspeech.org, we have a blog with free content. I have a weekly podcast called Autism Outreach that is all about autism and communication. And we offer courses for parents and professionals. And I do a lot of training and speaking about speech therapy, about autism. So make sure that you come over to abaspeech.org and
0: give us a look. I will have all of this listed in the show notes. Rose, thank you so much for your time and your kindness and your expertise. Thanks for having me. Great information to help you figure out what you might like to do in your life. Make sure to check out the Autism Outreach podcast and, of course, abaspeech.org to find out more about Rose and all that she can help you with. I'm going to put all of the contact information and links for her in the show notes at howtolife.com slash 108. I would love to hear your comments about this topic and this episode. Please let me know through my website, howtolife.com, or directly through email at drlj at howtolife.com. And if you're listening on a podcast player, and you enjoyed this show, please hit the five-star rating button, and please leave a great review. Here are some other shows that you may find relevant based on the information that Rose just talked about. You're going to need some schooling to become a speech therapist, and I recommend episode 43. Career and college counselor Rick Palo talks about where to find scholarships, when to apply, and how to leverage your chances for getting scholarships and grants. And did you know that you can get scholarships as well as real-life experience in the field you want to go into? Listen to Episode 51 with the founder and CEO of Volunteer Crowd, Amy Van Canel. And episode 71 is about the College Flight Plan, a program designed to help you assess your strengths and values so that you can move quickly and purposefully through college and into your career. Those shows will be linked in the show notes as well. And again, that is howtolife.com slash 108. That is your optional homework for now. And that is all for today, my friends. If you're nervous or confused about what you're going to do with your life, don't be. There is so much just on this podcast to help you get started. Are you ready? No fear. You got this.